You love it when God's spirit moves. I don't know about you, but I genuinely felt him close as we sung his praises, as we lifted up his name. He does what he does. He draws near. It's the privilege and the birthright of every believer. And we've had it this morning. So we're in the book of Acts. Um, we are still in Acts chapter 9, if you've been following along. And last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, what is often called the Damascus Road experience. You know, we mean it about uh, people that have seen the light. They were doing one thing and then they had their Damascus Road experience. Now they're doing, doing something completely different. They've done a 180. Possibly the most ridiculous example was in the Britas Empire, if anyone remembers that TV programme, uh, where Mr Britas, the leisure centre manager of Whitbury Leisure Centre, was at a software convention in Basingstoke of all places. This is probably why it sticks in my head. And he comes back, he describes it as, I've seen the light. We need computers. That will solve everything in the leisure centre as if he wasn't the root of every single problem in that leisure centre. If you haven't seen it, it's on BritBox. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, but Paul, Paul is the source of that Damascus Road experience. He is the one who was chasing after the church. He would procured authority to go to another town. He cleared out Jerusalem and he'd been given authority to go to another town called Damascus to clear that town out as well. Get all the believers, ship them back to Jerusalem for them to be dealt with by the religious authorities. That was why he was on that road. But he is surprised by the Lord Jesus himself. A bright light shines down and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, like, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And it says at the end of that, for three days, he was blind and he didn't eat or drink. He was just taken to Damascus where he was already headed and he stayed at a house there doing business with God. And that's where we're picking up this week. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to 19. I'll bring it up on the screen. and I'm just going to go through and pause to comment at different points. So Acts chapter 9, verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Now, Ananias is only mentioned once in the whole of Scripture. There is another man in Acts 23 called Ananias, but he's the high priest, so I'm pretty sure it's not the same person. Ananias is named only once. But what are we told about him? Well, first of all, he was a disciple. These days we have the term Christian. And it's used in a wide variety of ways to describe, some people think, well, England is a Christian country, so I'm a Christian. Of course I am. I'm a good Englishman. The craziest thing was my a colleague at university talking to someone else, and I just overheard their conversation. He was saying, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in God, but I'm a Christian. Does it make sense? Make it make sense, please. No, it's just a term that has come to mean something else. But he was a disciple. And what's a disciple? A disciple is a follower. 
They are an apprentice. They are someone who says Jesus is worth following. And that's who Ananias was. That's who we should all be. Not just Christians wearing the badge, but living, active followers of Jesus. Because we know that he is worth it. Because we know that he actually has the words of life. Because we know that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was a follower of the way. That's the other name that they were given. We also know that he was in Damascus. Ananias was a disciple in Damascus. Probably fleed, fleed. what's the past tense of flee? Fled, thank you. My brain temporarily, <laughs> clearly that's a, such a basic thing that my brain just couldn't handle it. He fled to Damascus, probably from Jerusalem, when all of the Hellenistic Jews were chased away as a result of Stephen's death. He was in Damascus. He was Paul's next target. He was there, and Paul was coming for him before the Lord Jesus intervened. So there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... I'll pause there. God knew him by name. Did you spot that? Ananias. The Lord speaks to him. This isn't just you there. You'll do. This is Ananias. I'm speaking to you. God knew his name. Whether you feel like it or not, God knows your name. Phil, Roger, Shelley, Cindy, Dave, Eddie, Brenda, Kian, Dave, Janet, John. God knows our names. He will have things for us to do just like he had things for Ananias to do. Not because we will do, but actually because we are the perfect person for the task that he wants us to do. I want you to encourage you to listen out for the times when the Lord calls you by name to do something. That's one of the things we're going to get out of today. Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. See, as a disciple, Ananias had a willing heart. Reminds me a little bit of Samuel. You know the story where Samuel, as a little three-year-old boy, hears the voice in the temple saying, Samuel! So, yes, Eli? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel! Yes, Eli? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. On the third time, Eli finally starts to get with the program. Samuel! Do you know what? I'm not calling you. Maybe it's God. So the next time you hear him, say, yes, Lord, here I am. Samuel! Yes, Lord, here I am. Little three-year-old boy. Ananias' response is just like that. It's just as willing, just as pure-hearted. Here I am, Lord, he replied. Oh, nope, still already on verse 11 on that slide. Get up 
and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. See, God is giving him a highly specific mission. Get up. Not sure what he was. Maybe he was sleeping. Maybe it was nighttime when Jesus spoke to him. Doesn't say. But get up. Go to Straight Street. Go to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is given super specific directions. I'm not entirely sure if my faith would allow me to receive such specific directions. Paul talks about that he who prophesy, prophesy in accordance or in proportion to his faith. Lord, would you increase my faith to hear specific instruction? Lord, the things that you want me to do, guide me step by step, please. And each one of us here. Notice, Tarsus, well, Saul, who is from Tarsus, is praying there. That is how he's been filling the three days since he has met the Lord Jesus. He has been deep, deep in what we, these days we might call deconstruction. He's deconstructing his previous worldview because Jesus appeared to him and it just blew it out of the water. Jesus was this upstart preacher who dared to claim equality with God. And we rightly killed him. Oh, but apparently it's him that I'm persecuting. How do you handle that? So for three days, Paul is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. You notice the Lord is brokering this meeting between Ananias and Paul. Paul has seen a vision in these three days as he's been praying. And there is this man called Ananias, not the high priest, who's going to come and place his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. The Lord is also subtly telling Ananias what he needs to do when he gets there. You need to go there, lay hands on Saul, and pray that he regains his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, you know, you know I've, I've heard from many people about this man, about how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. It's wonderful to think that God's got a mission for you until you hear it sometimes. <laughs> There's an understandable note of hesitance. Um, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know, but this isn't a good guy. No, no, he's, he's not a good person. Can't you see that? Um, I mean, isn't he here for me and my brothers? Are you sure you want me to go there? That's like walking into the lion's den. It's one thing to be thrown into the lion's den. It's one thing to be thrown into the fiery furnace. It's another thing to hear the Lord say, go and walk into it willingly. Would you have had the courage? I don't know if I would. 
I think this is partly why there's such a specific vision that Ananias is receiving here. Because the Lord knows the stakes are high. And he wants to let him know that it is all good. Notice, he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Your name's going to crop up a few times in the next couple of verses. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and Israelites. Paul came to arrest everyone who has called on the name of Jesus. But Jesus' plan for Paul is to go and get many more to call on the name of Jesus. He's saying, no, Paul is going to go far and wide. Yes, he has opposed my name, but now he's going to take it to Gentiles. What? They're in your plan, Lord? Yep. To kings. Oh, okay, to the highest level and to the Israelites, because God has not forgotten his people. This is who Paul is going to be. Yes, he was arresting those who were going to call on his name, but now he is going to carry the name of Jesus everywhere he goes. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Paul made the followers of Jesus, those who called on the name of Jesus, suffer. But the Lord is going to show him how he must suffer for that same name. I want to take just a little brief pause here. Paul absolutely learned about suffering. Yeah? You see it in the rest of the book of Acts. He was arrested. He was stoned. He was chased out of towns. On one occasion, he was lowered over the town wall in a basket so that they wouldn't be able to get him. He was carried to Rome in chains. He was shipwrecked. In 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is speaking against the so-called super apostles who criticize him and say, well, he's not all that impressive. You know, no, you shouldn't really be following him. Paul has this to say for himself. He reminds them of his suffering on their behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. Are they, the super apostles, servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm better. I'm a better servant of Christ. I've had far more labours, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death, Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Shipwrecked in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of the sea. A night and a day he was bobbing around in that water. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. And not to mention the other things, 
there's also this daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. This is right at the beginning of Paul's story. But we know, because we've got the rest of it in the Bible, that man learned to suffer. He learned to suffer. And he learned that it was worth suffering for the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. This cuts across a little bit how we often talk about the gospel. Even those of us that would not claim to be word of faith, prosperity gospel types, the gospel we think we carry is you're having a hard life, put your trust in Jesus, it will get better. We, not be, we might not be that explicit about it, but that's kind of the, the expectation we have, right? Did it work for Paul? No. Paul was taught how much he had to suffer. Paul's life cuts across the typical gospel messages. Because we are called to life in Christ, which is a welcome invitation. It is an invitation worth taking, but that is not an invitation to a trouble-free life. That's good news, by the way. Because who of us has a trouble-free life? I don't have a trouble-free life. I'm willing to bet no one in this room has a trouble-free life. If having a trouble-free life was proof that the gospel was having its effect in our lives, every single one of us would be in trouble. But it's not. Because the call to life in Christ is a call to walking with Christ through the troubles, through the struggles, through the suffering. There's a film I quite like called The Princess Bride. Anyone know it? It's an 80s film. Uh, it's really worth watching. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit sarcastic about fantasies and romance and things like that but actually at heart it's all about you know there is goodness and there's life and there's love and there's romance and all that kind of stuff but there's a bit where the dread pirate Roberts who was really the princess's um, ex-lover Wesley but the dread pirate Roberts is who he's become in the five years after he was taken at sea and the princess moved on and is now engaged to be married to the prince Humperdinck and she talks about how my, my prince will come for me. Life isn't like this. And it's like, stop it, you're hurting me. No, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you different is selling you something. It's a little bit bleak. But I can always remember hearing that and thinking, do you know what? I love the fact that Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. Because it means he's not a slick salesman. He's a Lord and a saviour who will tell us the truth about what this life is like until he makes it all right at the second coming, when he finally does away with Satan, when he finally does away with sin, death and disease. But until then, in this life, you will have trouble. But we're not actually talking about suffering for the sake of suffering. Hallelujah. Paul found in Colossians 1:24. Paul talks about it like this. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. Now he's not talking about salvation and forgiveness. Jesus paid it all on the cross. Amen? But there is something about those that serve him take part in his sufferings. So that we can still communicate life to those that aren't yet in him. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul puts it this way. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. We go through suffering we go through times where it feels like we're dying a death so that the life of Jesus can be showed to those around us as well. That is what Paul knew. That is what Paul learned. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. That's the dynamic of following Jesus. He comforts us so that his life will be shown to those around us. And then the final one that shows Paul what Paul learned about suffering, Philippians 3. I love this chapter. This chapter is one of my favourite chapters. And you know this bit. Philippians 3, verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of what? The fellowship or sharing of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming or so that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. You see, our suffering is not suffering for the sake of it. Actually, our suffering is taking part in the sufferings that Christ went through when he was on the earth. Christ was disbelieved. He was mocked. He was persecuted. The religious authority stood against him so much that at the end of the three years that he was ministering here on earth, they caught him. Actually, he gave himself up, but they thought they caught him. They took him, they put him on a cross, and they killed him. But we know that wasn't the end. He went through those sufferings. Any suffering we go through in this life is us sharing in his sufferings. And we go through sufferings because he is worth it. Amen. Amen? Paul's life teaches us that knowing Jesus is worth anything else we go through and that he is faithful to walk us through our suffering and comfort us. Read two Colossians. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a beautiful passage about how Paul has known suffering and so he has known the comfort of Christ. And because Paul has known the comfort of Christ, he can comfort other people who are going through affliction. You know, part of the reason we go through suffering is so that when we come across other people who are suffering, we can comfort them. And if they're in the body of Christ, 
They then, when we're going through a period of suffering, because this stuff is cyclical, it's not like we ever get to a point where we are above the point of suffering. When you've helped someone else, they can help you. And there's this beautiful sharing and depth of experience of walking together, knowing that Jesus is worth it. That is what Paul is going to learn. If you want to go more into this, I've probably spent a bit longer on it than I intended to or should have done. But if you want to read a bit more, read all of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is all about the struggles that Paul had over and against the super apostles and the struggles that he went through as part of his ministry as an apostle. Or Philippians. Philippians is written from a jail cell, but it's often called Paul's epistle of rejoicing. It is the most joyful of the epistles, even though he's in a jail cell. It's well worth it if you're suffering and you want to get God's perspective on it. 2 Corinthians or Philippians is a really good book to read. So Paul, who made the followers of the name suffer, will suffer for the name of Jesus. Ananias went and entered the house. He now knows what, he's, what Jesus was talking to him about. He doesn't do a Jonah. Jonah ran. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. <coughs> Nineveh's here. He goes to Spain. <laughs> the furthest end of the world, as they knew it at that time. He ran. Ananias doesn't. He goes and he enters the house. He places his hands upon him and says, Brother Saul... This is a beautiful acceptance of a former enemy. Ananias knew that the reason Paul was here in the first place was to capture people like him. And you could have been forgiven for saying, okay, great, I'm glad he's not going to do that, but good grief, I'm going to keep my distance. But he doesn't. He draws close, he draws near, lays hands on him and calls him brother. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I do just want to point out, if you think that you are not special enough to pray for someone to receive the Holy Spirit, because you're not a pastor or you're not an apostle or anything like that, and God only uses special people, Ananias was just a disciple. You are just a disciple. God can work through you. You can pray for someone to receive the Holy Spirit and have the joy of seeing them filled up. You can pray for someone to receive their sight and have the joy of it being granted. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Paul's conversion is complete been a three-day period and he got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength there were three things that Paul needed and Ananias met each and every need he needed to regain his sight and his scales fell from the eyes he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit 
Interestingly, Jesus didn't mention anything to Ananias about praying for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was just implied by the way that he knew that he was going to have to suffer, so he would need some help. Maybe, and I think it's more likely this, actually every single person who put their trust in Jesus was prayed for to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we should do it today as well. Paul needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he was baptised. And then he had some food as a fourth one. That's important. I like that that notes it. You could say, well, he's, been, he's received the Holy Spirit, he's received his sight, he's been baptised, what more could he possibly need? Food. This isn't super spirituality. God didn't make us just spirits. He made us spirits in a body. It is good to eat. It is good to drink. That is the normal way that we will be sustained. So let's not be super spiritual. If you're going through a hard time, it might just be that you need to look after yourself. You might just need to rest. You might need to make sure you're eating good food and drinking stuff that's gonna hydrate you and keep you going because that is how God has designed us. And as he did that, he regains his strength. You see, next week, we're gonna see that Paul immediately began to preach and to serve. The rest of Acts, after a little bit in Acts chapter 10, becomes the story of Paul. Up to this point, it's kind of been Peter's story, but this is the beginning of the passing on of the baton in the book of Acts from Peter to Paul as the gospel goes outside of Israel, outside the Jewish faith, and out to the nations. We don't hear from Ananias again. This is it. This is his 15 minutes of fame, as we would call it today. You might be tempted to think, because Paul is the focus of the rest of the book of Acts, Paul is the really important one. Oh, if only I could be a Paul. We might not hear from Ananias again, but if it wasn't for Ananias, there would have been no rest of the book of Acts for Paul. You might not be a Paul. You might be, have the joy of being an Ananias. That hears a commission from the Lord and goes and brings someone else into the kingdom who is going to do way more on paper than you ever did or you ever will. I can remember thinking that about friends that I was at university with. I can remember thinking, do you know what? If all I do is encourage those people to go on with God. Okay, Lord, that's cool. That's a good heart to have. Because don't forget, God knows your name. What's better than that? God knows who you are. Just to bring it in, I want to encourage you to listen for specific missions from the Lord. Have your ears open, have your heart open to the Lord saying, hey, hey, yeah, you, Bob. No, Bob's in the room. Go and do this, please. And then like Ananias, be willing to do it. Be willing to follow the prompts and the leadings that he gives you, making sure they weigh up and line up to the Bible. 
The Bible is our safeguard when we're listening for the voice of God. You might not be a Paul, but maybe the Lord will lead you to love and release someone who's just starting on their journey to be another Paul. If we think about Old Testament terms, maybe you're more of a Jonathan than a David. Ananias went back to quiet faithfulness to the Lord, but his act of obedience has impacted the history of the world. And so could yours. It really could. So are you listening for specific missions from the Lord? Are you suffering? Are you tempted to think, well, what have I done to deserve this? We can look at the life of Paul and see that it's nothing to do with what Paul deserved. Actually, it was a privilege for him to suffer and share in the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're going through a hard time at the moment, if you're suffering at the moment, it just might be that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Don't assume that you've done something wrong and that's why you're in the the brown stuff right now. It could be that you are sharing in his sufferings. Do you need healing? We can pray for you to be healed and we believe that Jesus still does it today. Do you need to be baptised? You know, Paul getting baptised at the end of this chapter is the decisive point for him. Yeah? It's once you're baptised that you have put your whole commitment into Jesus Christ and there's no turning back. Up to the point of his baptism, he could have gone back to his former religious life and just said, oh, it was a funny thing. I don't know what was going on. But yeah, let's get those Jesus followers. As soon as he was baptised, there was no way back. As I understand it, it's the same in the Muslim majority world. It's a problem when you become baptised because that is the point when you step over the line and there's no way back. So do you need to be baptised? You can do that. Jesus is worth it. And do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've never known the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have, but you feel dry. You feel like you need a fresh touch from the Lord. We can pray for that as well. There'll be time after. Phil's going to lead us in worship in just a moment in another couple of songs. Put your hand up and we can pray for that. Or you can have a chat afterwards. We can pray for you. So just to sum up, Listen out for what the Lord leads you to do. I think he's got very specific things for us to do in this day and age. He wants us to do reaching out to specific people. He wants us to bring specific encouragements. He wants us to tell people about the love of Jesus that took him to the cross so that we would have life in his name. And yes, it doesn't take away all the suffering. Yes, sometimes it brings more suffering, but he is worth it. Amen. If you need healing, if you need to be baptised, if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's all in Christ Jesus. It's all in him. He is everything we need. Amen. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that, that you work through people like Ananias. Lord, I want to thank you that we only see him in this one place. We only see him in this one chapter in the book of Acts in these few verses, 
But that man's obedience, that man's willingness to go where you sent him changed world history because it gave us the ministry of Paul. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to the leadings that you send us on. Lord, the promptings that you give us, would you give us faith, boldness and courage to do the things you ask us to do, trusting that there's going to be that same fruit of life in Jesus coming to those that don't yet know him. Lord, for those that need healing, I pray that that would come in the name of Jesus. For those that need to be baptised, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them of that need. And Lord, for those that need to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Paul was, I pray that you would pour out your spirit afresh, even as we sing now. Lord, that we would, we would just know the majesty of what it is to be friends of Jesus Christ.